Thank you, Marshall. Friends, I invite you to please open your Bible to the book of Ruth. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 222, page 222. This is a story of a family tragedy. This is a story of a rare bond of love and devotion. This is a story of a God-honoring romance. And this is a story of joyful, providential ending. Written a thousand years before the first Christmas, some 3,000 years ago, it holds astonishing relevance today. Contemporary issues such as the refugee crisis in Europe and the Near East, the politics of immigration, concerns over xenophobia, the fear of people from other countries, race relations, civil rights of women, they're all here in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is also profoundly theological. The question of why God would allow suffering has vexed humankind forever. We Christians evoke God's sovereignty to try and make sense of it. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. That is that God rules over creation and reality. That he is in total control of all things past, present, and into the future. That God Almighty is the one, Ephesians 1.11, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We believe that, that God is all-powerful and in control of all things. And we hold and believe to be true that God is ultimately good in all things. What about in the midst of suffering? Suffering that we see in the news? What about in the midst of our own suffering? Is there purpose in it? Where is the all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good God when calamity strikes? Well, the story that we are about to read of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz has profound answers, and I trust that you will find it. With all Scripture... Ruth cannot be fully understood apart from our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who calls us to repent, to turn back, and to believe. This family tragedy, this romance, this little story is part of God's grand story that he is writing and the vivid light that shines on the path that we all follow in seeking after our Redeemer. This chapter, this first chapter, will be about a mother-in-law and her, her daughter. And so thinking about this message this week, I'm thinking about my own mother-in-law who's sitting here in the third pew. And I asked her, uh, Mom, what's your, your life verse? And as it turns out, as so would happen, her life verse perfectly fits with today's passage. And it's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7 where the apostle prays, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through 
prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that's our prayer for this morning. My prayer is that for today and and through this series that will lead us into Advent, that you will experience patience when everything seems to be against you. Gratitude when things go for you. And confidence that your future is secure because Christ, our Redeemer, is with you. That you'll know God not just as this uh, unseeable, all-powerful, all-knowing, supposedly all-good God, but that you will know God as our Father, as your Father. And by the firm and gentle hand of providence, our Father works all things ultimately for his glory and for our good. That's all contained here in Ruth. So let's read now. Ruth chapter 1, page 222. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite wives, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Mo- to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? have Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, 
And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is, that, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Now the setting of this incredible story is found in the first verse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. No wonder the book of Ruth follows the book of Judges. A 400-year period after Israel had entered the promised land, they were, they were led by Joshua into the promised land. But before Israel has their first king, King Saul. So this is a, a period of 1400 to 1000 BC. And this period marked a time of a downward spiral for this nation, nationally and spiritually, into a life of chaos and apostasy, showing the need for a godly king. So God raises up judges. He raises up these these leaders, many of them military leaders. But again and again, the people fall further and further away from the Lord. This is a time in which the book of Judges sets up what we're about to read in Ruth when it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound relevant to us today? Is it any wonder from our studies of the Old Testament and the conditional nature of the old covenant, that circumstances on the ground have degraded so badly that the land flowing with milk and honey has become the land of scarcity, scarcity hello, and starvation. Things have gotten that bad. God's covenant with his people through Moses was conditional. If they were faithful, they would be blessed But if they were unfaithful, there would be terrible consequences. And now God's word is coming true. God is making his people face up to their sin and the hardness of their heart in order to bring them back from the brink. So that's the story of Judges, this grand, giant, terrible story of a nation. And then we come to the book of Ruth, this little family From Bethlehem, literally Bethlehem, the house of bread, the breadbasket of Israel in Judah, to a mom and dad and their two sons who make a fateful decision. These parents choose to leave the promised land to migrate to a foreign country, land that was deemed enemy territory, east of the Dead Sea, Moab, 
modern-day Jordan. Elimelech figures it's better for us to restart in a new country than to starve in God's country. But no sooner have they gotten there to this new place than tragedy strikes and he dies. And now Naomi is a widow, just her and her two sons, far from home. And she experiences the pain of bereavement and loss without a social network, without anyone to call for help, with no resources, in a different land, with different customs, a language she probably could never learn or tried to, maybe she tried. Naomi is stuck. Do you know anyone like that? Even in our own county? They've come so far from a land they once know and they don't know where anything is, that's where Naomi is. She's stuck. She doesn't know where to go or to whom to turn to. Her sons, on the other hand, the 1.5 generation, which is a reference that we often make when we have immigrant children, they adapt, don't they? They marry outside of tradition to two Moabite wives, Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. A decade goes by, no grandchildren. This is the, the purpose in life for which Naomi clings to, not only to have a husband, but to have children and then grandchildren, because it's through uh, the mother's line that the Jewish blood will continue. But her sons who've married outside of, of their nationality and outside of their race, they would see that, have no children to call their own. And then her sons die. She's left with no family except her daughters-in-law, without any social support or resources, nothing to her name but pain. What feelings does this scene bring to mind when we see the struggle of the refugees, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands moving from coast to coast in, in, in the, the Near East? We can see these stories repeated again and again, a sea of people, and yet here we have in Scripture time allotted to the story of this woman and her pain. Can imagine Naomi's tears running down her weathered cheeks, her shoulders heaving as she sobs uncontrollably, uncontrollably, inconsolable in her loss. And I imagine she's thinking, My life is over. My life is over. Oh God, why have you done this to me? I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. Look at verse 6. I'd like you to take note of verse 6 and, and verse 7 and 8 and, and 10 and following. There, there's a word here. It's very significant. It's the word return. In Hebrew, the word is, is shab. It's a, it's a verb, shab. It means uh, to turn back or to return or to go. Now, in, in the English translation, we're going to have all those different translations to turn back, to return, to go, because uh, in English, to read the same word over and over again would get a little monotonous. But in the, the Hebrew, that repetition has a function of reinforcing the main point of the passage, which is what? Verse 6, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law 
to return. Return where? Return to the promised land. The point is, God has not left her. Even though she and her husband turn their backs on the Lord and on God's word, she is being called to turn, to repent, to come home again. This family left the one place on earth God specifically has given to his people. And yet, and yet, God's grace is calling her to return, to turn back, to go home. God allows us to see in this story the kinds of ways he brings his people home so that we will trust him when we see similar patterns in our life, when we see a, a, a dear sister or brother or whole family and they just walk away from the Lord, we can see what happens in Naomi's life and how God works grace to bring her back. What about these girls? For these ladies, it's decision time. Word that the Lord has visited his people and, and that now the, the famine is no more, that, that the Lord is providing a harvest, there's food coming comes, but to Naomi, I think there's a sense that, that there is no blessing in store for her when she returns. Think of the prodigal son, Luke 15. When the prodigal son says, my father's own workers have food. I'll return, I'll, I'll beg that he takes me back to be a worker. You know the story? I think that's what's happening maybe in Naomi. And so what does she do? She releases her daughters-in-law. She says to herself, they're still young. They have no children to tie them to me. This is their country after all. They can start over. They can put this tragedy behind them in the past. I will face the future alone. And now Naomi uses that same Hebrew word, telling the girls, turn back, daughters, turn back. Go, it's, it's pointless for you to follow me. God bless you, but there's nothing left where I am going that I can offer to you. Go back to your own homes. Friends, don't you see? Naomi is repenting. She's turning back. She's saying, I'm about to yield myself to God's bitter providence. She's saying, I, we left thinking that we were going for a better life, that we knew what was best, that we deserved better but now I know that all I have in this world is God's grace. And so, girls, ladies, my, my daughters, there is no promise of financial security or comfort or family. It's cost me everything to learn this lesson. Go back. It's too much. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She makes her decision based on what's familiar and temporal, and what's all around her. This is my land. These are my people. I know how to live life in this place. I have new opportunities. But not Ruth. She's suffered. She's lost her husband. And I imagine now she's estranged from her family for, for committing a marriage that would be considered an interracial marriage. That's in the ancient past, right? People don't think that way anymore. 
If one of our Nigerian sisters here married uh, an American uh, with, with uh, Welsh descendants, that wouldn't cause ripples back home, right? If, if, a, if a brother from, uh, from Maryland married someone from South America and, and brought her home, that, that wouldn't cause any problems in America in 2015, right? To be outside her tribe, outside her people, and she can never go back. Well, what does she know for sure? She knows that she loves her mother-in-law. She knows that she can't be, bear to be apart from Naomi or the God of Israel that she has come to know through her new family. Look again at the profound words of devotion that she expresses. She says, don't urge me to, to leave you or turn back. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. And Naomi, where you die, I'm going to die. That's where I will be buried. This is not sentimental, hallmark, write it on a Mother's Day card kind of language, friends. This is covenant language. When God made a covenant with his people, Exodus 3, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people no matter what happens. Naomi is saying, Ruth is saying to Naomi, the God of the covenant who brought his people out of Egypt and led them into the promised land, this is now my God too. Was God's purpose for Naomi over when her husband died and her boys died? Was it over? No. Her purpose was just getting started. Her purpose was to return with Ruth to bring her with her back to the promised land. And Naomi's return to faith is complex, isn't it? Of course it is. There are still issues to be worked out, but we can see Ruth is turning back to the Lord. And does God have a purpose for people that aren't Jewish in this story, this ancient story 3,000 years ago? Does God have a plan and a purpose and a grace for people who are not of a certain type? Yes, like Ruth, she is called clear-eyed and confident, and she really doesn't know what she's getting herself into, but what she does know is this. And with all of us know, we've been talking about all fall with our discipleship series, is this, that this new life path calls for hesed loving kindness. It calls for faithful love in action, that our faith requires extraordinary commitment to follow this new path. She's never left home, but she knows that Moab is not her home any longer. Do you see? She's walking by faith. God is bringing Naomi and Ruth back to himself. So God's painful and bitter providence to Naomi is working out to be God's good and sweet providence. Long before anyone in the story really knows what's going on or really feels good about what's happening. This is why it's never so simple as to say this bad thing happened to this person or this family because X, Y, Z. Oh, of course, this, they did this and that's the consequence. 
It's never so simple. We can't see or feel today what God has in store tomorrow. But we can trust in the bitter times, God can bring something surprisingly sweet. In the story, we're, we're a long ways from that. We're a long ways from seeing anything sweet. The return is bittersweet. Look at verses 19 to 22. Uh, we're starting uh, to see them come back. Now, they, they started in Bethlehem, and they're ending the chapter back in Bethlehem, the city of David. No longer a famine. There's a, a harvest coming together in this place. A harvest in the very place where Israel's greatest king grew up and the place where the king of kings was born. A faith of one child of God is restored and another child of God who is not Jewish is saved. And what's the people's reaction when they see Naomi? They see what God has done in the life of one person, one elderly woman. What's their reaction? It says that the whole town was stirred because of them, because of, of seeing th- this person they, they, they knew with this, this foreigner traveling together. Now, what do we make of Naomi's words? Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant one. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt with me bitterly. I went away full The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me and brought calamity upon me. What do we make of that? Easy to to cut that out. Let's just focus on the nice words of Ruth and say, let's let's try to be like that. Rubbish. No, no, you missed the whole point. We have to wrestle with these words. Because her words make us uncomfortable. Shouldn't she come back and say, I've gone through a really difficult time, but God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, and, and isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't that what he, she's supposed to say? That would fill a stadium of women for a, a big concert. Amen. Look at the big smile on Naomi's face. There's no smile. While she's returning, the Lord is continuing to work in her life, and she's still dealing with God's discipline. The reality is that There's truth for the townspeople and for all of us that we need to get at. Truth in what Naomi says. So here's the question. Can I trust and obey the one true living God who allows and even ordains pain in my life when I think I'm a good person and I don't deserve what I'm getting? Can I still trust God? Even though she cries bitterly, Naomi knows, despite appearances, things are not out of control. God is involved. And so her complaint is cloaked in a strong faith. Friends, if you believe for even a moment that you are saved by your virtue, by the state of your heart, by your good works, by being a good person who pays your bills and your taxes and takes care of your kids and gives them through college, if you think that's what saves you, I've got news for you. Tim Keller writes this, and I highly recommend this book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He writes, if God treats us, is, if God's treatment of us is conditioned by the quality of our lives, and the quality of our lives is always far from perfect, then we can never be sure he is completely for us, loving us. To escape this uncertainty requires that you dispel 
any illusion that through your wisdom and your strength, you can ever create a safe and good life for yourself or that you could put God in a position of owing that life to you. Riggers puts it this way. People become nothing through suffering so that they can be filled up with God and his grace. Martin Luther put it this way. God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores life only to the dead, sanctifies only the sinners, gives wisdom only to the unwise. In short, he has mercy only on those who are wretched, only on those who know that they are empty, but by the grace of God. These women return at harvest time. That's where we'll pick up next week. But I, I can't leave it there. It's kind of leaving hanging. I, this isn't like an old-timey serial where the, the hero is hanging from a cliff and you're wondering, well, well, how's it going to work out? And yeah, that's how chapter one ends. They're just sort of there. No, no. Let me give you an insight why we're studying the book of Ruth. Why now, in November, into December, into the season of Advent, why is this so fantastic? And this is it. The rest of the story is set at a harvest time, and God will return and restore everything that they've lost. Through death, new life comes. Even in the darkest hour, in surprising ways, God's grace is magnified for his glory and for our ultimate good. That's where we're headed. Ruth is an example of how God can change a life and take it in a new direction he has foreordained. To anyone who thought God only loves certain kinds of people, Ruth teaches us that that is absolutely false. It's a striking contradiction. Ruth is about the work of God in the darkest times of life to prepare the world for the glories of Jesus. That's right. The book of Ruth is ultimately about the coming of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, Ruth is going to marry Boaz, and they will have a son, Obed, and Obed will be the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David. And then when you turn in your Bible to Matthew 1, and we read at Christmas time the genealogy of Jesus, of he begat him and him and him, and who is in that list that led all the way to Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, but Ruth. God had planned for Ruth, this foreigner, to come, this woman from the margins, to turn back, to come to the promised land, to be used of God, ultimately to usher in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's where we're going with this story. That's why, notice, I didn't say it has a happy ending. Happy ending. They lived happily ever after. Why settle for happy? Why do you want to settle for happy? Why, why pray, I hope my, my kids are happy in their life? There's so much more. In her life and the life of her children and children's children all the way down, there is joyful, providential greatness in this ending. Do you see God at work in the circumstances in your life? 
situations that you're in even now that are bittersweet and are mysterious and hard, even in the worst of times, this is a fact of our faith. That's why Acts 14, 22, I'm almost done, says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffering and hardship is a part of our life. Remember the one who suffered most, who was always good, who never left the righteous path, who deserved it the least, who was put outside. He is the one who suffered the most. The plan before time was for Ruth to come to the promised land, which would lead to David, which would lead to the son of David, our Redeemer. And a thousand years later, his supreme glory of grace was on display on the cross, where all of our sins were covered and all of God's promises were secured to bring people of all nations, people who are no longer labeled as illegal or stranger or refugee or unwanted without title or position, they all come and are made fellow citizens in God's kingdom. It's often a hard road to travel, to get back home. The challenge Naomi gives to us is this this morning. Are we willing to allow God to use us as channels of blessing in other people's lives. And the challenge of Ruth for us this morning is this. Are we willing to turn to him in our time of need and to trust Christ alone, by faith alone, devoting our lives to leaving our old ways, our old country, to trust him, take him by the hand, and to follow him to the new country? Let's pray. Oh God, we pray this, this hour that these lessons taught 3,000 years ago would resonate within us today. Lord, there are some here that feel like their purpose in life is over. What's the point? I pray, Lord, they would look to Naomi and see you're not finished with us yet. The best is yet to come. There are people here, Lord, struggling.